When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Why don't we start off with a uh, quick discussion about the precious metals markets and, and where they're sort of wrapping up the week. And then we can get into some other topics, uh, a pair of other topics I wanted to discuss today. But starting off with silver and gold, it's a... Uh, well, it's hard to be negative on, on this week's activity. As a whole, not a whole lot of movement uh, from from this Friday, from last Friday. I mean, last Friday, gold was, was really at, at the upper range of, of some of its recent trading range, you know, just shy of some of that resistance of the, the uh, 2019 highs of around uh, 1560 range in the 1560 range. And, and silver, just like last Friday, continues to sort of lag behind a little bit that ratio moving up somewhat with silver around $18 an ounce. Now, as I said, I mean that's not a huge positive move to the upside. The positive aspect to that is the fact that well, if you look at where we we're at last Friday compared to today, we've had some some major changes in and what really sent gold and silver much higher uh earlier in in January. And of course, that was the tensions with Iran the airstrike, their missile strike, uh, which sent gold, you know, above 1600 and, and silver, you know, close to $19 an ounce. Uh, that has calmed down even further today. Uh, now, we do have, you know, word today, even this is over on Zero Hedge, even uh, that the U.S. is admitting that actually 11 U.S. service members were actually injured in this missile strike, which, I don't know, is really interesting to me. I mean, that sounds makes it sound like like Iran was really make playing fast and dangerous here right i i had had theorized i had opined that that perhaps it was a case that you know with yes with us's forward or or their their advance warning but but also um potentially there was some other advance warning from russia potentially through iran or something along those lines to make sure that they didn't actually kill any troops well I mean, if these were significant injuries, you have to wonder, did that actually take place? Or was this actually really just, can we just chalk it up to to advanced warning uh, ahead of time and, and those troops did their best to to get to a safe location and they're fortunate to, to leave with their lives? I mean, can you imagine if it w- had went in, in a different direction? I mean, we could be having a very different discussion today uh, with, with, I mean, the U.S. and Iran could be in an open conflict had service members died there. So that is interesting. I think that certainly goes against my, my theory, but it, it does kind of support my, my opinion that uh, this is far from over, right? Uh, the U.S., I think, sees that and, and says basically, well, Ron was, I guess, had had not killed any of our troops uh, unintentionally, right? That, that the goal was to, to create some casualties there, which almost certainly would have, would have left, led to a, a significant response from the United States. So that does lend some credence to my opinion that, that this is far from over with Iran. Um, however, this week, things have cooled off with the exception of that headline. Cool off for the most part. I mean, we're still talking about uh, 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 the uh, Europe 
the Europe, uh, you know, UK, uh, France, Germany pulling out of, of this Iran agreement as the U.S. already has. And of course, Iran not living up to their side of the agreement, uh, understandably so, because the U.S. pulled out. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's raises tensions to some extent. But as a whole, there hasn't been any major military action in like a week. And yet silver and gold are still doing fine, which is positive to me, right? Uh, as much as, as uh, a U.S.-Iranian war would, would make silver and gold go much higher, first of all, I, I don't want to see war. I don't want to see the, the needless killing of, of individuals, especially when civilians are caught in the crossfire. But furthermore, uh, silver and gold, I think, can and, and will go up on their own accord, naturally, Right. Uh, and, and so we don't need the excuse of war. That almost makes it look as though it's not a, a product of, of monetary and economic and fiscal policy and all of that, right? Which it ultimately will be, the, the big move up in silver and gold. Uh, geopolitical issues will be secondary to that. So so a pretty positive week, all things considered. Um, I, you know, with that being said, my caveat is this, that that Gold has been knocking on that resistance level for a couple times, a couple times in a row now. Has not been able to really break through, with the exception of this, you know, when things escalated with Iran. And and what that tells me is we could be in for a correction. I'm not talking about a major correction, but we could see gold drop down to, uh, if I put a number on it, 1500, right? Similar drop in silver, uh, and and maybe bounce off of 1500. Of course, it, it could drop all the way down to maybe like 1483, but but. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a correction. With that being said, still a lot of bullish factors in place. Seasonality is still positive for silver and gold, but a bit of a pullback would not at all be unexpected, at least from from my perspective. Now, the the other thing that I wanted to talk about uh, was this news out of, of China. News, if you want to call it that. China growth slows to 29-year low in 2019, despite quarter four rebound. So if you're looking at overall uh, China GDP in 2019, record low. Now, I mean, for China, this is not that big of a deal. I mean, if you think a record low growth for the United States since the Great Recession, you'd be talking uh, probably slightly negative. Or if on a yearly basis, we'd be talking the single digits or, or less than 1%. For China, uh, their, their record low GDP is is up in uh, up in the you know high fives low six percent uh, GDP range rather than uh, you know down to to negative range and and the whole reason behind that is uh, well first of all I'll start from here China's economic data is kind of bogus right and and we shouldn't be really lending any credence to it by the way six point one percent is actually the the official number I'm finding it here. We should be lending very little uh, reliability to to any of China's data. Uh, we should do the same for U.S. data and, and most major countries' data, whether it's inflation and unemployment, GDP, all that, because it's manipulated. It's heavily manipulated. It's doctored. China just tends to smooth it out more than other countries. Uh, with that being said, though, 6%, 6.1% is low for them, relatively speaking. I mean, they're low in the Great Recession was above 6.1%, right? Uh, the lowest since 1990, right? Uh, that's pretty significant. In all reality, though, which is what matters, it's living reality and, and not in this this made up world of, of these made up and manipulated figures. Uh, China GDP is uh, probably closer to, to 
low single digits, like one, two, three percent, according to to past data from from some different firms that that track this type of stuff more accurately than than China's own government does, uh, which has a, obviously a huge um, reason to to manipulate data. So that's what's really important, and and China. I think is something that I haven't discussed a whole lot as of late, but remains really, I mean, a, a, a key player in the global economic picture. Uh, the, the big problem being for China is that uh, in 2019, with the exception of maybe early 2019, they did not deliver the stimulus that they have in the past in terms of, of social financing and all of that. They they did here and there, they, they made different, um, monetary changes to to create a stimulus for the economy and all that, um, but as a whole, you didn't really see that to the extent that you might expect, uh, as as we saw maybe back in two thousand you know two thousand fifteen sixteen two thousand twelve thirteen two thousand eight and nine, right? Just not to the same magnitude, right? Which which certainly leads me to believe that that on top of this ongoing trade war, which just like the Iran situation is not as far from over. China could be in in re- recession soon. Certainly, much much lower uh, growth rate, and and with that, I guess a uh, um, leg of this this if we could call it like a four legged table, we could say the U.S., the eurozone or Europe, uh, China, and everywhere else in terms of what's you know supporting economic growth. With China pulled out, uh, global economic picture deteriorates very quickly. Right, and so it's only a matter of time, I think, before people realize this. Before they realize that that China's economic growth is actually much lower than reported, that this is likely going to be hugely negative for the U.S. economy, but honestly, the global economy, uh, that a global economic recession is is right around the corner, right? But uh, yeah, lowest since 1990. That's according to their own data, surprisingly, right? Uh, you know, it's bad when when even China, according to their own data, is is saying that. That is that it's you know thirty year low or twenty nine year low, uh, but it'll get much worse uh, according to to what we would consider real data, not China's data. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about it's kind of funny. Uh, Neil Kashkari, he is I forget he used to be Minneapolis Fed uh, governor president or whatever. Uh, I don't know if he still is, but he he is a member of the Fed Federal Reserve. He is. Notable for being extremely dovish, like crazy dovish, uh, when it comes to interest rates and QE and all of that. Uh, big fan of just the Fed being very accommodative, okay? And he actually tweeted uh, earlier today, you know, I'll read it for you, quote, QE conspiracists can say this is all about balance sheet growth, Someone explained how swapping one short-term risk-free instrument, reserves, for another short-term risk-free, risk-free instrument, T-bills, leads to equity repricing. I don't see it. End. So that was his tweet. And Zero Hedge actually writes up a pretty good critique of this using much, much more technical jargon and data and, and probably expertise than, than I'm going to here. Uh, but on its face value, uh, this, this tweet... First of all, it doesn't pass the common sense test. Common sense test, of course, would be to look at the stock market relative to the Fed's balance sheet over the last um, six months, let's say, since they started their repo market operations and ultimately their QE, and you'll find that there's a pretty good correlation. 
that when the balance sheet is going up, so is the stock market. When the balance sheet is contracting or, or largely sideways, well, guess what? The stock market is going sideways or to the downside. And that's a big part, I believe, of why the market continues to melt up to these crazy highs, why Tesla is now valued more than, uh, worth more than, than GM and, and Ford combined in terms of market cap. Apple continues to soar. Microsoft, I mean, across the board, the NASDAQ, Dow, S&P continue to just soar on the back of this huge liquidity injection. And here's Kashkari saying, I don't know. I don't see this relation here. Why is it that if we're swapping uh, T-bills for reserves, that this is somehow fueling this this huge rise to the upside? Uh, well, that's the common sense test that I'm applying. But we can go beyond that and just look at, is this actually increasing liquidity in the system? And of course, Zero Hedge, again, goes more into depth on this. But, but in general... The Federal Reserve, through repo markets and through their $60 billion worth of QE, their their T-bill purchases, have helped monetize debt, helped fund the U.S. government, something that domestic, foreign investors and and U.S. banks uh, kind of showed in in early, or, or I should say middle to late part of 2019, were unable to do going forward to at least the extent that that was required. And of course, the Fed stepped in through the repo markets, through, through QE, um, and, and they took what was an asset that was in, in relatively low demand relative to supply, and they created all this artificial demand, right? Furthermore, they also are, are you know, tweaking these banks' balance sheet as they buy this, these T-bills and, and uh, you know, exchange it for reserves. I mean, ultimately, he can say that it is not injecting liquidity, but that's ultimately what it is. I mean, and, and the crazy thing is, is this isn't, a new argument. I mean, this argument more or less was was proven to be true following QE one, two, and three, and then even QT. What happened during quantitative tightening when the Fed started selling off its balance sheet along with raising interest rates? Well, the stock market crashed actually in in late twenty eighteen at, at something like a twenty percent correction in some indices, right? So, I I'm, I, I get what Neil is saying here, but he's wrong. Right, this is a no-brainer. This is increasing liquidity in the system that it's fueling the stock market bubble. That the stock. I mean, first of all, I mean, there's a common sense test of the correlation, but the correlation does not always equal causation. I get that, but beyond that, we we what what other reason would there be for the stock market to continue to rise to these levels? The Chinese trade deal? No, not to these levels. Right, uh, Tesla. What's 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 the reasoning behind Tesla or Apple? I mean, it's it's so clearly a, a, a liquidity and credit driven bubble in the stock market today, right? And and we don't know all the inner workings of of how this creates liquidity. I mean, I guess I don't. I should say lots of experts have given their thoughts on it about as far as uh, how this this liquidity basically comes through. And, and Zero Hedge again gives a really great explanation of this. Of, of how this liquidity, uh, how the liquidity in the system is increased ultimately through these banks that are are uh, uh, having these these T bills bought off their balance sheet by the Fed. Uh, but again, it's 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 justification. It's sort of um, what's a. It's like there's an elephant in a room. Okay, there's an elephant in the room of the stock market bubble being fueled by the Fed, and Neil is here saying, "I don't see anything." It's standing right in front of him, right? 
And he's saying, I don't see an elephant. I don't know what you're talking about here, right? Um, there's something large in front of my face, and, and and it certainly looks like a stock market that's going up. But I'm, I'm not sold on the fact. That's a terrible analogy, guys. I should just stop making new analogies. But But the point of what I'm saying is that he's basically looking at the data. He's looking at the evidence and saying, nope. Nope, it's not. Nope. And it's just, it's frustrating. I mean, we've all met those kind of people, you know. Uh, uh, let's say uh, we'll go sports, you know. I, I'm i not a fan of LeBron James. And look, I in the past I wasn't a huge fan of him. I'm still not a huge fan of him, but I'm not a, a hater of LeBron James. He's a good player. And stats-wise, it's hard to argue with that, right? But once upon a time, I, I guess I never argued with his his ability and his stats and all that but but there are plenty of people that would say you know nope lebron james is, is not as good as he actually is painted out to be it's like well here's the statistics here's the success of his teams here's the the win loss here's the finals appearances the championships and people will still say nope i mean people have beliefs sometimes it's easier to to take a predetermined uh answer and and then make the the uh the answer in this situation being that no, the Fed isn't feeling this bubble, and then find evidence, whatever that might be, even if it's just a simple tweet saying reserves swapped out for T bills don't equal higher prices, that that can be your explanation, right? That's created explanation evidence after we've determined what the answer is going to be. It happens all the time, and it's frustrating. Um, but uh, whatever, I mean, Neil obviously wants easier monetary policy. He wants. A uh, greater amount of stimulus to the system, and and ultimately he's going to get his wish. Uh, but there's obviously a side effect to all this, and and it starts with an I and it ends with inflation, inflation, whatever. Terrible joke, whatever. I'm done, guys. That's I, I pff, long week for me. I hope you guys enjoyed my podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed this one today. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, and God bless.